Last week, uh, if you were with us, Pastor Rick started a new series in the book of Romans, and we're going to continue that this morning. And so we're going to be in, in Romans chapter 1, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first 17 verses uh, to you. I don't have them up on the screen. If you have a Bible with you uh, or your phone or whatever you use, you can go to Romans chapter 1, and we'll read those verses together, or you're just welcome to listen. One of my favorite pastors and uh, teachers, his name is John Piper, he has said that this letter to the church in Rome is the most important letter ever written. And I believe we're going to discover why that's true over the next few weeks together. The content that is here within the letter to the church in Rome gives us almost everything we need to know about who God is and who we are and what our relationship with him is supposed to look like. Why it looks the way it does today and what it should look like. And so I'm excited as we go uh, through this book together, through this letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, I believe that our knowledge of who God is, is going to be increased, and that as a result, our experience with God, the depth of our relationship with God is also going to increase. So Paul begins this letter, begins his letter to the church in Rome with these words, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. In these last few verses here where we'll focus today, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. On Tuesday of this week, I was here in this building, 
And right around lunchtime, I left my office and I went out to my car and I drove out to one of the gas stations uh, on Cambridge Street. And I went in and I asked them if they had the time to do a state inspection on my vehicle. Perhaps you've done the same thing at some point this year, or you will. Now, why did I do that? Well, the reason that I did that is because the state has told me that I have an obligation, an obligation once a year to go and get my car inspected. And for that privilege, I can pay $35 cash and they will inspect the car. And we have an obligation to do so. Someone has told us we are obligated to do that. And obligations are weird things. In fact, if we think about our lives, it's not just our cars getting inspected, but there are a lot of things in our lives that we are obligated to do. I didn't want to go get my car inspected. I didn't come up with that idea on my own. I didn't say, you know how it would be a great time to spend my lunch break today? I'll take $35 and go hand it to someone so they'll look my car over and give me a sticker. That wasn't my idea. Someone else told me that I was obligated to do that. And I happened to notice that my sticker had a number three on it. And I looked at my calendar and my calendar said four. And so I figured to myself, I better go and get this thing done. And it's like that with obligations, isn't it? Sometimes when we're obligated to do something, we come up with the idea and we say to ourselves, all right, I'm going to be obligated to uh, work out three times a week or I'm going to be obligated to, to uh, get up and, and pray every morning or whatever the obligations are that we set for ourselves. But many of the things that we feel obligated to do, someone else is telling us to do them. Our teachers, our bosses, the government, our spouses, our families, our friends, pretty much anyone that we have some sort of connection with or relationship has certain things that they would say they would expect us to do or think we should do, and they uh, obligate us to do certain things. And so all of us have all of these things, these things that we think we should do and obligations we put on ourselves, and then the obligations that other people put on us, like getting our inspection sticker done once a year. And if you're like me, then you feel like it is next to impossible to ever fulfill all the obligations that other people put on us. That it would be fundamentally impossible to look at everything that co-workers and families and friends and, and, and culture and everything everyone expects you to do, to look at all of those obligations and to be able to fulfill every last one all the time. And so then the question becomes, how do we decide which obligations to fill and which obligations to let slide? I want to suggest to you this morning that the obligations that we will always fulfill are the obligations to which we can properly answer the question, why? If we feel like we have a good answer to the question, why, then we will fulfill that obligation. And if we don't feel like we can answer the question, why, or the answer to that question, why, doesn't really concern us, then we'll let that obligation slide. We start asking why very early on. My daughter is four. She's at the perfect age for this. I tell her that she has an obligation to brush her teeth. And her first question back to me is why? I tell her she has an obligation to go to bed at a certain time. And her first question back to us is, 
Why? We start doing this when we're little kids and we never stop doing it. Why should I do it? Well, when it came to my car, I really didn't want to get in trouble or get a fine. That's why I should do it. It's because if I don't do it, I could get in trouble. And so I do it. But when the why goes away, when we can't find a good answer to the question why, those are the obligations that we let slide. So if you have a teacher right now, this year or this semester, if that teacher comes to you and says, you are obligated to do an assignment and it's due on a certain day, well, if you care about your grades and you care about passing the class, then you're going to fulfill that obligation. But if the same teacher came to you next year when they weren't your official teacher and they said, listen, you're obligated to do a project and it's due in two weeks, we wouldn't do that project. We can't answer, why would we do it? There's no good answer to the question why. There's no more grade. They have no more influence. So they can tell us we're obligated all they want, but there's no good answer to the question why. It's the same way as if you took a loan from the bank and you started to pay that loan back and you made your monthly payments until the principal was paid and the interest was paid. And the bank called you up and said, hey, you've been making your monthly payments and we know you've repaid the loan, but we really enjoy receiving your monthly payments. And so we're sending you a certified letter and you are obligated to continue to make those payments. We would never make those payments. There's no good answer to the question, why? Why would we do that? We don't owe the bank any more money. We've fulfilled our obligation. And so it's like that in life. We pretty much cannot live up to everybody's expectation and fulfill all the obligations that people think we should do. The ones we keep are the ones that we can answer that question, why? Why is this one important? Why should this one go to the top of the list? Why should I check this one off? Why should I do this thing? In these first few verses to the church in Rome, Paul tells them that he has an obligation. And he gives them the important reason why. This obligation is something he has to do above everything else that Paul had to do. This is the obligation that he was going to fulfill. And he gives the church the very reason why he has to do this one. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you and I have the exact same obligation that Paul does. The difference between Paul and us is Paul carries it out and we often do not. And I think the difference is that Paul is sure of the reason why. And sometimes we're not quite so confident in answering that question. Paul starts this letter to the church in Rome and he, he starts by telling them how much he longs to see them, how much he wants to see them. Rome is this place, and I know Pastor Rick talked about this a little bit last week. Rome is this place that Paul has always wanted to visit and always wanted to see. And he has yet to be there. You hear him say that in those first few words. I've tried many times to come and see you, but at this point, I have not been able to be there. Well, why would Paul want to spend so much time in Rome? I mean, in addition uh, to just wanting to see the Vatican and trying the veal, I think Paul wanted to be in Rome for a couple of reasons. One, one is that Paul was a Roman citizen himself. 
And he had never been to Rome. And so here he is, a Roman citizen, never been to the city of Rome. I think he would want to go. But even bigger than that is Rome is the city that really sets the culture for the known world at the time. They're setting the politics. They're setting the culture. They're setting the spiritual thought. So if there's a group of Christians, if there's a church that is going to impact the known area for Jesus Christ, if there's a group of Gentiles who are meeting and Jews who are meeting that are following Christ and they're going to impact the people around them, it would quite possibly be the church in Rome. Maybe you remember from your Western Civ class uh, in high school or college, this is the Pax Romana, that time where Rome is keeping the peace in the region, kind of. This is the time uh, when we, that phrase, all roads lead to Rome, this is that time period. And so Rome is the center of the world. Thought, culture, politics all happen in Rome. And so Paul wants to get there to encourage this church and to build them up. But that's not the only reason he says he wants to come. He doesn't just want to see everybody and have a good time. Paul says he has an obligation to be there. Not just a fun visit. Not just because he wants to. But he's obligated to be there. And the question is why? This is what he says in verse 14. These words are up on the screen. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. See, Paul, he feels like he has this obligation to go and to preach the gospel. And one place that he has not been to go and preach the gospel is the city of Rome. And so he feels obligated to get there and to do it. This is not a time where Paul can videotape himself and post it online and people can watch it. He needs to get there in person to be able to speak to these Christians and to preach the gospel to the people who are in the city of Rome. And he says, I'm obligated to do so. I need to get there and do this. Now, this gospel message that Paul is preaching, I mean, it's really quite simple. Maybe you've heard it before. The message he's preaching at its simplest form is that the relationship between humans, us as men and women, and God has been broken because we have chosen to go against God's law. And the only way to fix that relationship, both here on earth and for eternity, is to put our trust and our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ and to follow him. That's the message that Paul feels like he's obligated to preach. And for those of us who follow Jesus Christ today, we don't really have to look too hard in the New Testament to realize that we are obligated to to preach the gospel as well. That if we're followers of Jesus Christ, not just if we're pastors or went to school for this or we're a missionary, but if we're just followers of Jesus if he is central to the way that we live, if we are authentic, real people, and Jesus Christ is at the center, that we are then obligated to share that message with those who are around us. Here's the difference. Paul did it. We often do not.
We share the same obligation. Paul is obligated to preach the gospel. And as followers of Christ, in fact, right there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, when Jesus was about ready to leave this earth, he said to his disciples, he said to us, go and make disciples of all nations. Go, tell them what I've done. Teach them everything I've taught you. Tell them about me. Point them to me as the way, the truth, and the life. We share the same obligation. Paul went and did it. We often do not. And I think the difference is whether or not we can fully answer this question, why? Why is it that we are obligated? If we're convinced of the, the question as to why, I believe that we'll do it. But sometimes I think we forget what the answer to that question why is. Why should we fulfill that obligation? Why should we go and do it? Because here's the dilemma we face, especially in New England, Right? Here's the dilemma we face, especially living in New England and close to the city of Boston. If we actually go out this afternoon or tomorrow or this week, and we decide to tell someone about this message about Jesus, we know that three things are probably going to happen. That three things are going to occur just based on where we live. In fact, if we lived anywhere in the country, this might occur. But the fact that we live in this part of the country, we can almost be guaranteed that these three things will occur. And the first thing that's going to occur is people are going to be offended, right? People will be offended. If we go out tomorrow and we came into a group of coworkers or with our neighbors and we shared the gospel message with them, people would be offended, Now, why are they offended? Well, there's really five things that are within the gospel message that I think our culture really finds offensive. And the first thing that they find offensive is that uh, the gospel says that our salvation is free and undeserved. Now, you'll notice that as we go through this list, that the gospel is offensive not just to irreligious people, but to religious people as well. The true gospel message is offensive to a lot of people. People who are very religious and people who are not religious at all. And the first one, the fact that the gospel says that our salvation is free and undeserved, is offensive to religious people who are working so hard to earn it. But the second reason that the gospel message is offensive is the gospel message says that we are wicked. The gospel message starts with the fact that we're sinners. Now you and I know that our world loves to believe in the goodness of people and loves to uh, exalt how good we are as people. But the gospel starts with the opposite, that we're in need of saving. And so it's offensive. The third reason it's offensive is because it says that Jesus is the only solution. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that exclusive truth claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is offensive to a culture that says all religions should be treated the same. The fourth reason that the gospel is offensive is that it says that being good is not good enough. And for those of us who believe that God has big scales in heaven and one side he puts all our good deeds on one side and on the other side he puts all our bad deeds and at the end of our lives, whichever way the scale tips, that's where we go. For those of us who believe God works that way, the gospel is offensive because the gospel says you can't do it on your own. You have to trust Jesus Christ. And the fifth reason that the gospel is offensive is because it says that we must suffer and serve with Christ on this earth. And it's offensive to those of us who just want an easy, pain-free 
life. We know if we go out tomorrow and we share this message, a few things are going to happen. The first thing is we're going to offend people. And we don't want to offend people. I don't like offending people. And I'm sure you don't either. But we know if we go and share this message, if we fulfill this obligation, we're going to offend people. The second thing that's going to happen is people are going to tell us that we are simple. And none of us want to be simple people. You know how it is if you tell people that you're a Christian and you follow Jesus, they think uh, that you're kind of backwards and that you haven't really thought things through, that you've just bought what someone else has told you and you've never actually taken the time to sit down and reason this thing out. I was reading an article uh, in a magazine that I don't often read. I promise you it was forwarded to me by someone else. It was in GQ. And uh, the article was about Hillsong Church in Manhattan. It was a very lengthy article. And it was on Pastor Carl, the senior pastor there at Hillsong in Manhattan. It was just a very big church. A lot of people in their 20s and 30s going to that church. And I was actually very impressed with how strong uh, Pastor Carl's stood for this message in the article, knowing the audience that this would be going to. The author spent quite a bit of time with the pastor there. They met multiple times for this piece that was, that was quite lengthy. And so at the end of the article, this is what she wrote. I'm going to paraphrase the first uh, little section, and then I'll, I'll tell you her exact words. She said uh, in, a, in a couple of sentences, I really liked Pastor Carl. That's what she said. So she said, I really liked Pastor Carl, and then these are the words she used. I really like Pastor Carl, even though his beliefs are outside the bounds of reason. And I thought, man, what a backhanded compliment. She easily could have reduced that entire paragraph into one short sentence. I think Pastor Carl's nice even though he's stupid. That's what she wrote. I think he's a nice guy, but he's dumb. And that is how our culture reacts to this message. If people find out that we believe this, that Jesus is the only way, People will think that we are small-minded, backwoods type of people who don't really think things through and are just accepting some sort of message that someone else has given us. And none of us want to be dumb. None of us want to be labeled simple. And we don't want to offend people, and we don't want to be simple. And the third thing that's going to happen if we go out and share this message is that people are going to look at us, and they're going to think that we are self-righteous, narrow-minded people. They're going to be offended. They're going to think we're simple and not too bright. And they're going to think we are self-righteous, narrow-minded people. How dare you say? How dare you say? Over what I believe and over what everyone else believes. That you have the truth. Who would have the audacity to look at other people who believe something so strongly and say that your version of the truth is above theirs. We've heard that reaction. We've experienced that reaction. We've just seen that reaction in people's eyes when they find out we're a Christian. They don't even have to say it. We know what they're thinking. 
Let me just mention one thing. If you're here this morning and you feel that way, when a Christian says that they believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and your reaction is no one should make a truth claim above anyone else's truth claim, that no one should elevate their truth above anyone else's truth. Let me just remind you that in saying that, you yourself are making a truth claim that you're elevating above the person that you're upset with. Everybody's making truth claims, and they're all elevating them above other truth claims. So the problem is not that people are self-righteous and think they're better than everyone else. The issue is that there's different truth claims that need to be evaluated. But you can't just go back to someone and say, well, you're self-righteous, because now you've made a truth claim. But that reaction, that reaction causes us to be silent, doesn't it? That we would offend, that we would be labeled simple, that we would be labeled self-righteous, silences us in many cases. Paul lived in a culture where he faced a lot of problems too when he preached this message. His problems were not that people were offended and that they thought he was self-righteous and that they would say that he was dumb behind his back. Those weren't really his problems. Paul's problems were that he was imprisoned, that he was beaten, that he was tortured, that he was stoned. And you can read about it all in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. That Paul was physically assaulted over and over and over again because he was willing to stand up and preach this message. And so this idea that we have in our mind that our culture is so anti this message that we couldn't cost, we couldn't possibly go out there and share this because of what we would be risking. Paul here in his obligation risked so much more and the reaction was so far more severe and yet he was willing to do it. And the question is, why? Why was Paul willing to do it? And why aren't we? Well, this is what Paul said. Paul said, listen, I have this obligation and I am willing to go and fulfill it. And he says the reason right here in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says, listen, here's why I'll fulfill this obligation. No matter what it costs me, even if I'm beaten, even if I'm thrown in prison, even if my life is taking, here is why I will fulfill this obligation to preach. I will go and preach because I have the message that is the answer to solve every problem that people are experiencing in this world. I have the message that is the answer that fixes and restores our relationship to God, not only in this life, but also in eternity. And people's biggest problem who are around me is not the things that they see in their life on the day to day. The people's biggest problem is that they are separated from the God who created them and who loves them and desires to have a relationship with them. And if they walk through this life just trying to do the best they can for the 80 years or 90 years that they're here, and then they die and they meet that creator face to face, if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, if they don't know him, then they are going to spend an eternity apart from him. And so I don't care what happens to me on this earth. I have the answer to that problem. And I'm going to go and I'm going to preach it. It's my obligation. And that's the only reason why that I need, Paul says. 
Why would I go and do this? Because the gospel is the power unto salvation for anyone who would believe. And that word power, the Greek word dunamis, we get words like dynamic from that word. The gospel, he's saying, is dynamic. It's not this static message that happened in the past and just sits there. The gospel is living and active through God's spirit. Changing lives today. Transforming hearts today. Bringing people together today. Restoring relationships with God, both here in the present and in eternity. And I know the answer. Why would I not fulfill this obligation? No matter what happens to me. Can you imagine if a group of doctors tomorrow and scientists got up to a podium and they had all the mics and there was the CNN mic and the Fox News mic and Channel 7 and 5 and all the mics were there. And they got up for their press conferences and the, the press conference and the doctor said, we are pleased to announce today that we have discovered a cure for cancer. And everyone would start writing down and the reporters would be typing and, and, and texting and tweeting and one reporter would ask, when did, you, when did you discover that you had the cure? And imagine if the doctors looked at each other and they said, I don't know, like, when was it, guys? Like 2002? 2002. Yeah, 2002, and then we got busy. And then the other day, we were talking, and someone said, hey, we never announced that, that we found this cure. We should really get up and announce that to the world. And so we decided, I know it's been like 14 years, but we decided everyone should know. How mad would we be? How angry would we be? We would say to those doctors, listen, you had a moral obligation. The second you knew to come and tell us about this, you had a moral obligation to make this known. How many people have been affected and how many people have suffered over those 14 years? You should have gotten the word out immediately. And Paul's saying, listen, we have a cure that's far more important than cancer. We have the cure to the broken relationship between men and women and God. We have the cure to the thing that keeps people separated from God, not only here on this earth, but also for eternity. How much more important is it? How much more of a moral obligation do we have to go out and in spite of the fact that people might be offended or think we're simple or self-righteous, to out of love share that message with them that they too might come to know Jesus Christ and follow him and be reconciled to God, not just here today, but for eternity. How much more of a moral obligation do we have with that message? You know, in our state and in every state in our country, there are people who are labeled mandatory reporters. Clergy, teachers, social workers, doctors, and those mandatory reporters who are dealing with people in vulnerable places. If they know about abuse... Maybe heard about this. If they know about abuse, they are required to report it no matter what. They have information that can help out someone in a vulnerable position, and they have to go and tell someone about it. Paul is saying, Listen, I'm a mandatory reporter. I have information that can help people in a vulnerable situation, the most vulnerable situation that someone could be in, with eternity hanging in the balance, and I have the answer, and if anyone's a mandatory reporter, it is me. And so I'm going to fulfill this obligation, because the gospel is the power to salvation for anyone who would believe. 
if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you and I have the exact same obligation. No matter what it costs us, because this is far more important than just life on this earth. You and I have the message that is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who would believe. And because of the offense and because people think we're simple and because we don't want people to think we're self-righteous, we hold back and we just hope some other pastor or some other evangelist or someone else will come in and share the message. And then once they share the message, we'll come alongside and, and, and help people. But God's put us into places. He's put you into your job. He's put you into your neighborhood. He's put you into your family. He's put me into those places to go and to share the, mass, the message. Paul was obligated. You and I are obligated when it comes to the gospel. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we are mandatory reporters. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be thinking to yourself, Man, I can't stand it when Christians do this. This is the thing that I can't stand. I mean, if you want to have your beliefs about God and you want to follow him and that helps you, then that's great. But just don't talk to me about it. Don't try to force it on me. I hope if you're here this morning and that's you, that you'll understand the reason someone close to you would tell you about this message is because they love you. The reason someone would tell you about this message is because they care about you. We believe we have the answer to reconciling our relationship with God today and for eternity. And we want you to be spending eternity with God with us together. And so because we love you and because we care about you, we share that message. And if you don't believe the way that we believe, that's your choice, but I want you to know we're sharing out of love. Maybe you're familiar with Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller are magicians. They have a standing show in Las Vegas. They've been there for many years. Uh, Penn Gillette, he's the tall one who talks. Uh, he is a very good magician, but maybe you know or maybe you don't that he's also uh, one of the leading philosophers and atheists in our country. So he will lecture on atheism. Uh, he's a very outspoken atheist. He'll do debates at universities and things. So when he's not uh, pulling rabbits out of hats, that's what he's doing with his time. A couple of months, no longer than a couple months ago, but a while ago, he put on YouTube and Vimeo and sites like that a video. And he talked about a man who came to one of their shows and gave him a New Testament, a Gideon's New Testament. You know, the little ones that have the New Testament in Psalms? And that man came and handed him that New Testament. And Pendulet, the atheist, the outspoken atheist, had a different reaction than you might think he did. He said that he was touched by the gesture. Because he knew that man who believed that he had the answer through Jesus Christ loved him and cared about him. And in that video that you could go and watch online this afternoon, this is what he says. He says, how much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not share it? 
How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is not possible and not share it? I've always said I do not respect people who do not proselytize. That means share their faith, share the gospel. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward... And atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe the truck was bearing down on you, there was a certain point that I would tackle you out of the way. And this is much more important than that. I'm going to invite our worship team back to the stage this morning. And for those of you who are here this morning, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope you'll know that we share God's love, we share the gospel message, the message that that our relationship with God is broken and that Jesus came down to this earth to die on the cross for my sin and your sin, to restore that relationship, that he was raised from the dead, that if we believe in him, we can have eternal life, that our relationship with God can be restored today and for eternity. We share that message out of compassion and we share that message out of love because we believe that we have the answer and we love you enough to be willing to share it with you. And maybe today would be the day that you would follow that message, believe that message for the first time. We would like to help you in that conversation. We'd be more than happy to speak with you about it. But maybe you're here this morning and you're like me as I thought about these verses in this message. And you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you can think about the times when you have had the opportunity to share and you have not because you didn't want to offend and you didn't want people to think you were simple and you didn't want people to think you were narrow-minded and self-righteous. You didn't want to have to go in and talk to the boss and get written up. You didn't want to have to face those things. And so we just stayed silent. Listen, there are days that I meet people for the very first time and I just hope they don't ask me what I do. Because if they ask me what I do, I'm going to have to say I'm a pastor. I'm going to have to say I'm a pastor in a Protestant church. And no one in this part of the country understands that because I'm married and I'm not a priest. And so I have to explain what I do. And some days I just don't want people to look at me and say, oh, he's one of those. I know who he is. And I have family members that I just don't even bring it up with anymore because I don't want to offend them. And so I'm challenged by these verses to be reminded that we are talking about something here that is far bigger than this earth. We are talking about eternity. And all those people we come in contact with, the people I come in contact with, the family members that I have, If I love them the way God is calling me to, I'll share this message. I'll fulfill that obligation no matter what it costs. And so this morning as we close, I'm going to bow your head and close your eyes. I'd encourage you to take a moment. 
if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would lift up some of those names to him. And you would say to him today, God, if you open the door, I'll walk through it. If you give me an opportunity to share, I'll tell people how much God loves them and what I believe. And I won't lord it over people. I'll do it lovingly. I'll do it compassionately. But I'll stand for what is true. God, this morning, we recognize that Paul had an obligation that he fulfilled. God, help us to fulfill the same obligation you've given to us to go and to share with this world that there is a God who loves them and a God who has created them and a God who has not left them alone, but who has passionately pursued them and who has sent his son to die on the cross and to be raised again. We might have life eternal. And God, help us to stand for what is not a truth, but what is the truth. Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. And for these names and these faces that are in our minds and on the tips of our tongue, God, we pray that you will open the doors for us to be able to share. And that as you do, we will walk through them boldly. We pray it in Jesus' name.